See if you recognize this speech. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers set forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived can long endure. We are met today on a great battlefield of that war. That battlefield, of course, was the battlefield of y'all must have gone to college. <laughs> it was the Gettysburg Address in November of 1863. It was two minutes long, 254 words to be exact. And in two minutes, Abraham Lincoln galvanized the resolve of this nation. Like a tiny rudder in a ship, blown by the wind, he got hold of his words, and he not only commanded the attention of the people that were in front of him, he also marshaled the forces that he could not control, the opposition, the resistance, the politics, all of it beyond his control. He got them behind him, and in two minutes' time, one not only the day, but the nation. Words, words, we say. Talk is cheap. Words matter, but actions matter more. Proverbs disagrees. Proverbs says, the mouth of the righteous is a tree of life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. We think of words as something we say, but in Proverbs, they are something we get into. And once we get into them, they start to pull us like a current. And they pick up speed. You've seen this in your own experience. I know you have. Have you ever talked to yourself? Come on now. Have you ever had a conversation with yourself when no one was in the car or in the room? Do you remember how right you were? Have you ever gone from talking to yourself to listening to yourself? Fess up. Have you ever listened to yourself so long that you almost can't hear somebody else. <laughs> I was at 1812 yesterday, walked by a guy with a t-shirt on, and it had a big word arguing across the front, so I slowed down. You know how it is, you can't stop the guy. And I looked at his shirt, and it said, I'm not arguing. And in small print, it said, I'm just explaining why I'm right. <laughs> this is a guy that's been in a room by himself for too long. He not only talked to himself, he's been listening to himself, and now he can't even hear somebody else. It's a current. We'll say a word or two, and it seems harmless to us, and we can get out of it and change our opinions. But before we know it, we start listening to ourselves, and now the current or the word is in control of us until we can't even hear other people around us 
words to the sages were more than modes of communication. Not all of them, you understand. There was normal everyday discourse like we have today, but there were a few who, like Lincoln in that rare moment, could elevate to another level and could move people. Have you thought of the doors that would open for you if you were better with words? Have you thought how the people that you attract might change if you changed words? Have you thought of things that you might attract and other things you would actually drive away, stuff you would never get into if you did not create the prophecy, in a sense, just by your words. Look at Proverbs again, a couple of verses there. From the fruit of his lips, a person is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands. Oh, Actions speak louder than words. You say, no, they're the same. Words are actions. The words of his mouth are deep waters. They're a fountain of wisdom and a gushing stream. Whenever we think of a Gettysburg address or a Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I have a dream that my four children will live in a nation where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content, you remember it, the content of their character. I have a dream the night before he was assassinated. I've been to the mountaintop. Yeah, you remember these powerful speeches. These are words that elevated people. We tend to think of these as outliers. Once in a while, somebody is in the right place at the right time, and they say something that happens to stick, but everything else is kind of mundane. Or we think of these people as being unusually talented with language, when in truth, these are just people who took words more seriously than you do. That was the first step. They just knew the power of words to motivate, to inspire, to convict, to drive away, to attract. And they used them like a rudder to steer a conversation. I study the Proverbs, and more than 90 verses are devoted to the use of language, you guys. It is far and away a more popular subject in Proverbs than almost any other subject in the entire book, led me to think that maybe the sages knew something that we don't know. They practiced what was called eloquentia. It was not simply the process of saying the right thing in the right way. It was worried about timing. When do you say nothing at all? It was worried about the importance of a speech or a statement being disproportionate to the first few sentences. It was worried about transitions. It was worried about outcomes. It was worried about its effect on the community. In other words, it was worried about a bunch of stuff. 
stuff that your parents never told you about. <laughs> I mean, most of the time when we grow up, we get our words from our parents, and the only thing we ever learn about speech is what not to say. I mean, I'm in my 50s, and my mother is still clipping me on this. I heard your sermon. You can't use four-letter words. I said, Mom, I don't. Crap is a four-letter word. I said, oh, Mom, you've got to clean that up. You see, she's going back to the childhood days. If you can't say something nice, yeah, we had the same parent. You see, they just create boundaries. But did your parents tell you when to speak and when to be quiet, how disproportionate something is to the front, when to end it, what to ask for, how to transition, how to sharpen the argument? Did you ever hear that at home? Well, I went to the Proverbs and studied their use of the language and what I noticed is that it was something like a taxonomy. Now, if you're an educated, you're in school, you love words like taxonomy. You're like, yeah, now you're talking. Now you're actually reading, boy. Use them big words. All it means is the categorization of anything. So I notice in Proverbs that there's like different categories of knowledge or words. At the bottom or at the base is facts and data. Now, facts and data are just out there. They're neither for or against. They're neutral. They are what they are. You've heard the statement, um, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, will it still make a sound? Well, yeah, probably. If something is true and there's no one there to know it, is it still true? <laughs> well, yeah, it actually is. It just needs someone with a point to make to go in after it. But the evidence, the fact, the data is already out there. You're not creating it. You're just finding it and then pulling it in to your argument directly above it was a thing we'll call information. Information today is everything from the news to websites to manuals, textbooks. It's Google, it's blogs, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram. We're relaying bits of information, but it is disconnected from the greater Neil Postman argues that before the 19th century, information was always connected to a greater point or it was considered irrelevant. Today, we make game shows out of it, don't we? We ask people 20, 30 questions of unrelated facts, and if they get them right, it's $100,000. Today, that is the news. So the Hurricane Matthew still hitting Florida, and the market is down, and the Cubs won last night. And so, by the way, did the maize and blue. I just thought I'd get that in. 
<laughs> you see it, but they're not related to anything. It's free-floating information that simply reaches down, grabs a fact that's already true, pulls it up into information, and spits it out. The way that we communicate information today is largely in the form of opinions and sometimes in updates. So we sit down at lunch, we have a chatter conversation, and the whole conversation is did you know or did you hear or what about, and we're just changing pieces of information, but it's not really headed towards something greater. Directly above it was a thing called knowledge. Knowledge is the organization of information. Now a person with a body of knowledge, a discipline, a career, its experience, its skill, it's something that we've learned over time and we've put together into some kind of a coherent whole. And the way that we communicate most knowledge today is in the uh, way of arguments uh, or debates or sermons or speeches or if you're in school, lectures. It's advice. Someone comes and says, what would you do? And we reach into our body of knowledge and we say, this is my experience. These are my skills. I traffic in this stuff. And then we borrow information, bring it up, and give them a piece of advice. You still with me? Then I noticed at the top of this thing was this pinnacle called wisdom. Oops. Wisdom is spelling. Only it's disconnected. It's consistent with everything that we know. Wisdom never goes against knowledge, not true knowledge. But wisdom is more than knowledge. So that one does not have to be brilliant in order to be wise. Knowledge can help you get your first job, but wisdom will help you keep it. Because it isn't your expertise, it's your ability to use expertise for character for the good life. So you will reach down and take the knowledge you have and when you put it to use for living the good life, then you're living wise. Well, here's what I noticed, you guys. Most of the stuff that we're calling for today is all about knowledge. When they call me in to speak to a district, these are pastors. And they're saying, we're having an issue with pastors. They're having some problems with their people, 80% of the issues between their people. And we need you to come in and give us some skills on how to handle conflict. Do you, do you see what they're saying? Come and teach us people skills. But at the end of the day, relationships fail not for lack of knowledge. They fail for lack of of wisdom, we cannot use the knowledge that we have, and somehow we traffic only in the lower altitudes. We are quite content here. 
I have college professors who come to me and say, do you know what drives me crazy, Steve? It's all of these students who are stuck in information. Whenever they want to know something, they just Google something and it spits out a bit of information. But I need them to elevate into my world of knowledge. There, I said it for you, prof. But do you see sometimes... You do the same thing. You get stuck in your world of knowledge and never ask yourself, how does that make possible the good life? The point of knowledge is wisdom. And yet we try to solve most problems today with knowledge. But at the end of the day, you guys, we will not cure sex trafficking with knowledge. We won't fix poverty with just knowledge. We won't end wars or solve domestic abuse or even cure the national greed with knowledge. And yet, knowledge is all we hear. So what you're hearing now is that what we really need are people who know how to speak wisdom and what we keep getting are people who are stuck in information and in knowledge. So how do we elevate? Are you interested? All three of you. Thank you so much. Is anyone else interested? Please. This is the rest of my message. <laughs> now, because words are actions, I'm using an acronym that ought to make every literature English person in the room have warm, tingly fuzzies. I'm using an acronym verb there. Hug yourself. <laughs> I went reading through Proverbs and started classifying these 90 different Proverbs into categories. And this is what I came up with. Though I admit, I did manipulate the title a little. V. Volume. When words are many, sin's not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. He who guards his lip guards his life, but he who speaks rashly comes to ruin. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. He's discerning if he holds his tongue. This is a day when words have gone wild. When people feel that they have to speak about everything, I'm thinking social media. Words are like currency, they're like dollar bills. The more of them you make, the less each one of them is worth. 
and the less each one of them is worth, the more expensive it is to make your point. It's called inflation. So when we fill the room with words, hoping that we'll find a point somewhere in the middle of all of our venting, we're actually lowering the value of the point when we find it. Just before Lincoln did his two-minute speech, a Harvard grad named Edwin Everett, one of the most notable orators of the day, spoke for more than two hours, 13,000 words. I googled it. It said, before you print this, Beware, it's 30 pages. His first sentence was 52 words, or 21% of Lincoln's entire speech. And his first sentence was, if you can remember it, that's my point. Ask yourself, before you write anything and say anything, what is the simplest, most efficient way to say this? And then choose your topics. Let the others go. Effect. What effect will this have on the community? Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. A soft answer can turn away wrath, but harsh words will stir up anger. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We consider speech in America to be a freedom and a right that belongs to the individual, listen to the difference, to the sages, speech was a gift that belongs to the community. So it didn't matter how right you were or how eloquently you could say it if it had a negative effect on the community. Now how different is that from much of what you hear today? For the moment you say something and the word leaves your mouth, it has a mind of its own. It can sometimes convey what you intended to convey, but sometimes something entirely different, it has its own power that isn't rooted in you. So before you say it, measure the effect on the people who are about to hear it. It was the community, not the individual, that was most important, our reliability. And honest answers like a kiss on the lips. You've all had one of them, haven't you? Truthful lips endure, but a lying tongue lasts only for a minute. Did you know that up to about 200 years ago, if you spent counterfeit money in the village, the penalty was capital punishment. They killed you for that. 
Do you know why? Because they considered counterfeit money to be an act of terror on the entire community. It undermined the trust of everybody's money, even honest money. Speech is that way. Listen to me when you exaggerate, when we embellish, when we overreach for superlatives because of inflation, when we tell our side of the story, not the other, we're bleeding counterfeit words into the economy of language, and it makes everybody's word more fragile. So the question we ask ourselves before we post or before we speak, at lunch, in a boardroom, in services, in the atrium, is it reliable? Is it consistent with the whole truth? All of it. Benefit. Benefit is mostly about timing. An apt word or an apt answer is a joy. A word in season, how sweet it is. Listen, look at the image here. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. You see him just waving that thing? It isn't the proverb. It's the way that he doesn't know how to use it. He just sort of wields it. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. The picture of going into a jewelry store and saying, I don't want something from the case. I want you to make something for the person that I love because I know what she likes and you don't sell it. Well, you custom make it. Use words like this. And so the way that we do this is to ponder, it's to pause. I mean, if you're like me and you're in a conversation and someone stops talking, you start thinking, this must be my turn. So then you just start talking and you're thinking, in the middle of all these words will be a point. <laughs> yeah, but it's not as expensive anymore since you filled the room. So ponder. Give thoughtful answers. It will be really hard for you to be in a conversation today and not say something back because you can't think of the simplest, most succinct way to say it, and you can't elevate. But what if you could? What if you could? What if we left today and we said, you know what? Just because the culture has devalued words, we don't. Just because people think out loud, we can think silently. And then when we have something to say, we can say it with a beauty and with a power and with a force, with a simplicity. Can you imagine what would open to you if we went way back like the sages and took seriously the use of words?
One woman writes of an experience in an elementary school. I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear how I looked. A little girl with a misshapen lip and a crooked nose and lopsided teeth and garbled speech. And whenever schoolmates would ask, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them that I fell and I cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. Finally, I was convinced that no one outside of my family, outside of my family, could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to every child in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years how it worked. We'd stand against the door and cover one ear, and the teacher would whisper something into our other ear, and then we'd have to repeat it back to her, things like, the sky is blue, or are those new shoes? I waited for those words that God must have put into Mrs. Leonard's mouth, those seven words, she said, that changed the rest of my life. She said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. Words. Just words. But they opened a prison and set somebody free. 